Many of you know that I have a dog named Buddy. If you've been to my house, you've met Buddy. He's the friendliest dog on planet Earth. He is the reason I have created two different categories of theology that don't exist in the Bible. Uh, one would be dog baptism, uh, the covenant dog, and that means that in eternity he will be with me. And that's the other one, is that dogs are in heaven. I believe that, whether or not the scriptures say it or not. I, I tend to, uh, and one of my mentors, Steve Brown, one of my professors, proclaimed such a thing. I, I love my dog for all sorts of reasons. He's always kind of sort of been there, and he's the ideal human being and that when you come home, he's like really excited to see you, and regardless of your temper, he's always there going, I still love you, and so it's really, really fun. And, and uh, we rescued the dog. Now, that sounds like a, a lot nicer than it really was. We went to a dog pound, and, uh, and he was there, as a little puppy with all of his siblings, and, uh, and Carolyn, my wife, and my daughter saw him and fell in love with him, and, uh, and then we were able to uh, adopt him and bring him into our family. And so it means a lot to me, and I'm moved emotionally when this young lady's face comes up on the television screen. You've seen this commercial before, right? Where the song Angel comes on, a song that was originally written for a friend of hers who died from a heroin overdose. And now it's become synonymous with, I'm going to make you feel guilty for not giving money to the ASPCA. So Sarah McLaughlin has now become the patron saint of dogs everywhere. And it's really strange because I really like the song Angel, but now I can't think of the song apart from like this really like mangy puppy that's looking like, ah, rescue me or they're going to put me to death. You know, and so... I've kind of lost the song in the puppies, you know? And, uh, and Angel is a really tremendous song. A lot, of, a lot of popular topics, a lot of popular subjects, a lot of uh, books have been written on the subject of angels. Some good, some bad in my judgment. But there has been a renewed interest in angels in particular over the last couple of decades. And all you've got to do is Google search books on angels and you'll see an unbelievable supply of these things. Uh, I'm grateful for angels. The scriptures talk about their influence in our world. Uh, they talk about, as we read today, them being servants of God to protect the children of God. And uh, I am confident that over the past year, um, God has had to dispatch a battalion of angels to watch over the Ryer children on L.A.'s roads as this past week, Holly had her first car wreck on the 210. That would be our fourth in a year for the Ryer family. Those aren't fun, and I'm in a rental car once again. But I'm grateful because my first question, anytime my kids call, and mind you, four times in 12 months, they've called and said, Dad, I'm in a wreck, is, are you okay? And I'm always thankful, A, for insurance, even though our deductibles are sky high, and B, I'm thankful that they're safe. I mean, it's sort of remarkable that my kids, I mean, the odds of them, you know, continuing to live through these accidents are, are getting smaller and smaller, so I'm trying to get them to, you know, relax behind the wheel, but needless to say, grateful for the presence of angels, because scripturally, we would be told that they are watching out for my kids, and I'm grateful for that, watching out for me. I, uh, I, I'm a, into NASCAR, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, and there's a legend in NASCAR, uh, uh, Dale Earnhardt was... Uh, is really a Hall of Fame driver who passed away at the Daytona 500 a few years ago. He has a son who drives, and every week 
A woman at NASCAR, her name is Stevie Waltrip, she's the wife of Hall of Fame driver Daryl Waltrip, puts a scripture on his dashboard. And he refers to her as his angel because she comes in and, and puts a little verse and it's, you know, some verse to remind him of things eternal, whether Dale Jr. is listening or not, who knows, but all I know is that uh, he refers to that as a moment where he's getting to encounter the divine and she's a, de- she's a delightful Christian woman as is her husband. And so it does beg the question for people, with all this conversation about angels, uh, where does the church, and in particular a church that claims to have some reverence for scripture, come down on the, on the subject of angels? And today we get to talk about that a lot. Uh, yes, angels do exist according to the scriptures. Yes, they still do make appearances. There's nothing in scripture that would tell us that that does not happen. In fact, uh, a couple of quick scriptures, the one we read to start, or Karen read during our worship time today, are not all angels from Hebrews 1.14? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And later in our study in the book of Hebrews, we'll get to Hebrews 13.2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So there are moments where you, know, you should soberly show hospitality to people because it, in fact we may be interacting with servants of God without really knowing it. Today's text further elaborates on the, the theme of our study in the book of Hebrews which is the supremacy of Christ and touches on the subject of angels and uh, so we're going to talk about angels today but two quick thoughts as we continue this study in the book of Hebrews. All right, the first is this. We will talk about angels at Prism Church as much as Scripture does. Which means, if you've got a theological issue or an agenda that you have, you may get frustrated here at Prism, as we don't tend to elevate one aspect of what God has shown us in His Word over others because it's kind of cool and trendy. In other words, I'm not going to talk about angels much. It doesn't exist, the the subject doesn't come up that much in Scripture where every week I'm going to start talking about angels angels. As subjects come up in the passages we deal with, we'll address them and explain them biblically, as is the case today in the subject of angels. We will, however, uh, read scripture and subjects always uh, through the grid of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then the second thing I'll tell you is that we at PRISM are unabashedly, unashamedly going to defer to scripture in our description of what exists beyond the physical world. We talked last week from Hebrews 1.3, you can listen to it online, uh, where the scriptures say in Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus Christ, the human being who walked the planet 2,000 years ago, who the New Testament writers and the first Christians all testified was God in the flesh, that he was the exact representation of the Father's being, that he rose from the dead, that if we want to know what God is like, if we want to know his attributes, we want to know his character, we want to know the way he deals with us, we have this now in the incarnation of Jesus. And that's a gift to us. We no longer have to guess. We get to see as represented by Jesus' life what God the Father is like. However, Scripture only reveals to us the things about God that God wanted to reveal to us collectively in his word which means that there are going to be things we learn about God exterior to Scripture. We call it common grace in a theological frame. It means that God shows us stuff about Himself from nature and those in nature. 
regardless of whether they believe in him or they are tragically flawed like every hero of the Bible or like you and me. Uh, I am fond of the phrase, broken clocks all. And what that means is, is that every broken clock tells time correctly twice a day. We have a clock out in our lobby. It is stuck at 10.30. It was right exactly 15 minutes, 20 minutes ago. It will be right again tonight at 10.30. All right? That's the nature of humanity. Uh, people who you think, well, what do they know? They're not this, they're not that. Well, God is gracious and has given us the means of discerning things about the world and about Him uh, through everybody. He has given us a particular clarity about who He is through Scripture and who Jesus is. And let me be very clear too. We don't believe that every thought, for instance, about angels that exists is equally valid. And we will determine the veracity of the claims someone would make about what happens in the supernatural as we filter that claim through what we know to be true from Scripture. In other words, our baseline's always going to be Scripture. Our baseline's always going to be what we saw represented in the life of Jesus. And then after that, we're going to kind of have to work together with others to discern whether or not something's true. And I'm not just picking on people who aren't claiming to be Christians and their definition of what angels do. I'll give you a real quick example from the crazy televangelist world. All right, now, many of you know of this person. His name is Creflo Dollar. He is a prosperity evangelist on television, and I've always thought it really ironic that he's a prosperity theology guy with a last name like Dollar. But his name is Creflo Dollar, and he has, and you can read this for yourself if you want to online and check my work, a thing called Angel Power Confession. And this is what he would encourage his vast followers to do. And I'll quote from his confession. This is him speaking. Because I am the righteousness of God, angels have been sent to minister to me. They respond to the word of God which I speak. Therefore I loose angels with the words of my mouth. I say today, Let the Lord be magnified who takes pleasure in my prosperity. In the name of Jesus, I command the angels to bring me prosperity in my spirit, in my home, in my body, and of course, in my family life and in my finances. All right, now, there are so many things that are wrong with this that it would take an entire Sunday for me to talk about it. But we will start with just the first words of his his phrase. He is not the righteousness of God. We have been, as Christians, given a covering of the righteousness of God, the righteousness, the the holiness, the, 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 the obedience of Jesus, if you're a believer, has been imputed or given to you as a gift, but you are still a person in a physical body dealing in a physical world with all sorts of problems, And what makes you acceptable to God is what Jesus has done. It is the presence of his spirit in you if you're a believer. His righteousness is what makes you acceptable to God. You should, and I should never refer to myself as the righteousness of God. That's just really, really diluted. Beyond that, and again, I realize that this is going to kind of sort of make you think, why are we going down this road before we even get to the text today? Trust me, we're going somewhere with this. This is a misapplication of a portion of the atonement that has not yet been realized or brought to fruition. What I mean by that is, when Jesus died on the cross, 
and paid for our sins, it bought all kinds of stuff, not the least of which was physical eternal life. But anybody with logic in their head and the scriptures in front of them recognize that we haven't gotten that portion of the atonement applied to us yet. In other words, that's something that's going to come later. There are parts of the atonement that are given to us now and there are parts of the atonement that are given to us later. And the scripture talks about inheritance. And what that means is is that if you are the child, the daughter or the son of somebody who's really wealthy, some of the benefits of your parents' wealth are going to come to you before they die. Others, not until after they die. And you'd hope that not like the prodigal son, you wouldn't you know, perversely think, well, I hope you hurry up and die so I can get the rest of my stuff. What we're saying is we are going to inherit, because of what Christ did, eternal life with all sorts of perks. But that isn't going to happen until we cross over to the other side. It isn't going to happen until the second coming of Christ institutes it. Until then, we are in a place where there are things that have been realized, the now, and then there are things that haven't been realized, the not yet. And when guys like Creflo decide to start talking to angels as if they're his servants and start commanding them to do his bidding, they have misapplied and misunderstood. And this is supposedly a Christian. I would say my assessment of, my critique of these type of religious people is really only because I have scripture. That's why it isn't just about judging uh, things in the culture. It's turning the light of scripture on people who would be uh, referring to themselves as religious, spiritual, Christian leaders and I think perverting the gospel of Christ. Now, We do have to ask the question then, uh, what is the purpose of angels in this passage and why did it come up? And I have two thoughts for you today. The first is going to be this. We know Jesus is superior because angels worship the Christ. All right, the reason that the writer of the book of Hebrews has to address the subject of angels is in particular because there was a group, history tells us there were a group of Jewish Christians And this book of Hebrews was written to Christians who had converted from Judaism and then now were facing opposition from other Jews who did not appreciate some of the logical inferences and implications that would come with saying Jesus is in fact God in the flesh. And so when the Essenes, for instance, okay, the Essenes are the ones who are generally credited with being a community of Jewish believers who had kind of extracted themselves from culture and from whom we in the, in the area of Qumran is where we found the, the Dead Sea Scrolls which have considerably validated historians' sense that the Old Testament is in fact reliable because they have processed and they've looked at these, these, these texts, these manuscripts of the Old Testament and they virtually are identical to modern day translations of the Old Testament. Well, this group of the Essenes had exalted angels to this extraordinarily high level and then what happens is, is when, the, when the Christian Jews came around, the ones who'd been converted to following Christ, they started saying things like, Jesus is, uh, is God, he is Lord, he is Lord over even the angels. And that freaked out some of these folks. It made them touchy and it, it made them feel badly because like we talked about last week, some of them were saying, our prophets are number one and you're saying that our prophets are now secondary to you And in our culture, you don't have to go very far if you were to say that. People would get their nose bent out of shape. 
Well, the writer of Hebrews had to address the subject of angels because this was something that was predominant in this particular culture. We read the verses, verses four through six. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God says his firstborn, sends his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In this particular text, the, the framework for this is Psalm 101, which is uh, understood in verse 3, it's kind of alluded to when the scripture, the text before this says he was sat down at the right hand of the Father. It's quoted in full as Karen read it earlier from verse 13 that, that you know, it was said of Jesus that his enemies were going to be made his footstools. All of this comes from Psalm 110. As well, it's important to recognize that in answering the critics who were saying that Jesus wasn't superior to the angels, the writer of Hebrews was going to quote from the Old Testament. This was their book of choice. This was their authoritative book as, you know, obviously they took great pains to record it in great detail. So he's going to dig in in this passage and he's going to cite multiple Old Testament references that are going to say Jesus is superior to the angels. The subject of Christ's enthronement as the Son of God is the focus of this section. You can also see that Jesus himself has made this claim by referencing these verses in Mark chapter 12 and in Mark chapter 14. Uh, In particular, verse 6 is telling when it says that again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Well, the firstborn would have been a term that the the Jewish culture would have really responded to. It meant the role of the most important person in the family. So to refer to Jesus as the firstborn was kind of throwing down. It was saying, you know, Jesus is the firstborn. And it wasn't saying, as some have claimed, the Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, who claim to be believers, uh, Orthodox Christianity would say they, they aren't, uh, and primarily because they, den- they deny the deity of Christ, and they use words like firstborn to kind of imply that Jesus was created. And so he wasn't God from all eternity. In this text, what the author is saying is, Jesus is the primary, he is the first, he is the inheritor, he is the owner of the estate. He is the one who's going to be uh, rightfully heir to the throne. Now, angels are said then to worship this firstborn. So that's your second clue that you're dealing with somebody who is not created, but instead the creator. Angels don't worship any human being. Humanity is actually under them in the created order. And the only time angels have ever really gotten in big trouble in history is when they actually started to worship uh, created beings. You can read about this if you are interested in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28. We understand the existence of Satan, according to the Old Testament, uh, to be an angel who was removed from heaven because he wanted to be worshipped. He was created, he wanted to be worshipped, and a great number of angels made the uh, mistake of worshipping another angel. This angel was then removed from heaven and now is the chief adversary of believers all over the world. Instead, we are to be people who want to serve the Creator and angels and us 
We are to worship God and God alone or we violate the first commandment, which would have been really important for Jews. I mean, they got the Ten Commandments, the law. First among them is you worship no one but God. So for him to quote and say, listen, the angels are told to worship the Son, that would have once again said, well, that seems to be a conflict if he's not deity. In Hebrews chapter 2, the next section of Scripture, this verse, these verses exist, verses 6 through 9. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at the present time, we do not see everything subject to them. What this verse is saying is, is that in the created order, there was angels and then there was human beings and then human beings were gonna be these people who were supposed to take dominion over the earth, care for it, care for the physical environment, care for the animal environment, care for the human beings in the environment. And you see that this is not happening right now. At present, it says, we do not see everything subject to them. Even though we have been uh, called kings and princes and, and from a designation standpoint, Christians are, are everything that the atonement has bought for them. There, are, there is a signifying here that there is a now and a not yet. Christ has redeemed us and we will inherit the kingdom of God, but we haven't complete, we haven't received our complete inheritance yet. There will be one day when the world will be aligned correctly. But until then, we all know we're going to die a physical death unless Jesus decides to return between now and the end of our days. Angels worship God, and the writer of Hebrews had to say, we know Jesus is superior. The reason we're entering into this conversation is because these, there was a group of people who was pressuring Christians you cannot say, we believe that our angels are superior to your Jesus. And you must change your views or you are not going to be part of our little community. And the believers, some, were caving in. And this is where the writer of Hebrews was saying, don't. Remind them that the angels, great beings created by God to worship God, to be servants of the king, uh, that these actually worship the risen Christ. We always worship someone greater than ourselves. Every year the Grammys take place and the artists that are nominated for being you know, the best solo or the best band or the best songwriter, this is the moment, this is the, the pinnacle of musician success, the Grammy Awards. To say I won a Grammy to get the little statue of the old Vitroller, whatever they call the record player and you got this thing and I'm a Grammy winner. It's important. People then say, you are a Grammy winner. Grammy winning artist, Matt Tinkin, is going to be playing at this place or that place. I mean, all of a sudden now you've got this title that goes with your name. Sarah McLaughlin has won three Grammys over the course of her career. She wouldn't be playing the Lilith Tour nor being the song for the ASPCA if she didn't have three of those Grammys. It's not nearly as motivating of some obscure person with some obscure song. We now have somebody who has real heft and there's something about the weight of their importance that draws people's attention to that very cause. And this is what 
the father is doing in exalting his son. He's saying, I want people to see what I'm really like. I don't want you to get distracted looking at angels to try to see what is God like through this or over here, what is God like through that? They might be able to shape some of what you think about God, but for real clarity, you've got to go to the exalted one, the Grammy-winning Savior. His name is Jesus. This is the heart of broken humanity is that we, we want ourselves to be the exalted one. This was Satan's problem. This is my problem. This is the problem with a lot of world philosophies. They're designed to sort of make it as easy as possible to follow God without ever having to cave in and and change something about myself. So if I were going to create my own religious view in my own religious world, uh, we would all be required to eat high-fat foods with lots of sugar in them and shave our heads. See, now this would come real naturally to me. I could create a worldview that made life really simple for me. We're told to look at who Jesus is and then say, is, what, is who Jesus is, is this going to define for us what's real? We know Jesus is superior. We can take confidence that Jesus should be the pattern for us of who God is, what God is like, because angels worship him. Second thing I'll show you today is this. We know Jesus is superior because angels serve their creator. In verses 7 through 10, the word says, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy, He also says in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. (laughs) Verse 7 is quoting from Psalm 104. Verse 7 says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. This is actually a quote from the Greek Old Testament, the wording. Uh, It is the Septuagint, which is, as we mentioned last week, going to be the Old Testament reference of choice for the book of Hebrews because he's writing to Greek Hellenized Jews and converted Jewish Christians who were immersed in Greek culture and actually all read the Old Testament in the Greek. So it isn't because there's some miscalculation when you get oftentimes in the Old Testament, in an Old Testament critical studies, somebody that is relatively uninformed will take a passage of the book of Hebrews where there is a quote from the Old Testament and say, see, they're misquoting the Hebrew Old Testament. And they'll try to make a federal case out of the unreliability of the Old Testament in terms of whether or not what we have is actually what was written in the book of Hebrews or or written in Hebrew. When in reality, the book of Hebrews is quoting from a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Verse 7 implies that the angels were created to carry out God's commands with swiftness, the swiftness of winds and the strength of fire. They're part of a created order and they're subservient to the Son. Because the Son, Jesus, shares with His Father the throne, a throne that will last forever. The angels very clearly, while servants of their Creator, are not ours to command. All that the angels do is worship and glorify Jesus. And while we're a little lower than the angels but crowned with glory, our association with Jesus' righteousness is what gives us not only the status of being his children, but the beneficiaries. I'm in covenant with God. 
The angels watch over my kids. <laughs> Thank the Lord, not because I'm holy, but because Jesus is holy. <laughs> you know, I don't have a lot of confidence that angels are responding to anything in me. It's like, you know what? Let's watch the Ryer kids as they drive because Chop's such a good guy. It's, it's all about my association with Jesus. Have you ever been with somebody who had a lot of money? Carolyn and I have a couple of friends who've been very generous with our church and helping support me as we go through this early stage of our church. And we love them and we enjoy them, but it's always funny when we go out with them because they go to restaurants that you know, are way outside our price range and they end up paying for it, which is very sweet of them. But we're always kind of prepared for the credit card hit that's coming because something like on the front side, they go, hey, can you afford this? They just kind of take you into this restaurant and you go, wow, the prices here are not Subway prices. But if you're with people who got dough, it's like no big deal. But see, I've never forgot in the exchange there that I actually had money. And I didn't somewhere in sitting in Ruth's Chris Steakhouse come to my senses and go, you know, I've got all this money. I know I don't have the resources needed to pay this tab. I'm well aware of it. And yet I, am the lug- I have the luxury of being befriended by people who do have those resources. And this is why angels are there to serve us. They serve us by virtue of our association with Jesus. They serve us because we are inheritors, not earners. We are the children of wealth. We are the Paris Hiltons of humanity. We didn't do anything to get this money. We just get it because he's gracious and he's our father. This inclusion with Jesus is the essential reality of the gospel. We are credited with righteousness because of faith in Christ. Verse 8, really important to see the use of the word throne. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God. And you see this contrast again and again. This is a typically biblical purpose is to contrast Jesus on a throne versus Jesus the servant or Jesus on a throne versus angels the servant our faith our trust in our association with Jesus is what makes angels come to serve God and in, by extension say well okay I'm going to help out your kids too those meant a whole battalion of angels watching over the Ryer kids like they did when I was a kid God has given us the gift of uh, his righteousness that we might be able to rest in peace that he is sovereignly and kindly looking over all that we do. We too are Jesus' servants. And to erroneously and delusionally begin ordering angels around, we start to sound like the spoiled rich kid who stands to inherit money they didn't earn. They forget. We might forget. And with this mentality, we really miss the point of the teaching about the role of angels. The point of this is not to empower you and I to start barking at the servants like some spoiled little Lord Fauntleroy. The point is to point to what Jesus has done. That Jesus himself, superior to the angels and to us, made himself lower than us. For our sake. Hebrews 2.9 says this. We do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. This is a picture of the gospel. The reason it's so important to exalt Jesus over the angels. Is to demonstrate once again the beauty of what Christ has done. 
This picture of the gospel is what we're to emulate in this life. A tremendous, wonderful testimony to the kindness and love of a king who would come down from his throne and serve the subjects of his kingdom. There is an error that recurs, as we've mentioned before, in the prosperity gospel movement. They claim the benefits of atonement that will be claimed later. In our little movement in the world, which some refer to as the young, restless, and reformed movement, some will look at some futuristic components of Jesus and start to emulate that. For instance, you can look in the book of Revelation and see the power Jesus coming in glory with a tattoo on his leg and then go get a tattoo on your leg and then justify your arrogance and your unkindness in the name of being authoritative and powerful. Unfortunately, while one day we will reign with Jesus, right now we have been told to emulate the incarnate Christ. Being like Jesus doesn't mean that we get to boss people around because we're to imitate Him and He has authority over all heaven and earth. (laughs) Oh, that is sad. We are to glorify the incarnate Jesus who is always the servant in the room in spite of what He was owed. One of my favorite passages about the life of Jesus comes from John 13. And this is the end of Jesus' life. He is greeting his disciples. They've come together for the Last Supper. He's going to get crucified. When he'd finished washing their feet, and so what Jesus had done is before the disciples all sat down for their meal, Jesus took the role of washing everybody's feet, getting the smell off of them. This is something that a slave would do. It says when he was finished, he put on his clothes and returned to his place And after he washed their feet, he asked them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. It's always a powerful thing to see people of great importance serving humbly. There's an actor who I'm fond of. His name is Tony Hale. He was Buster in Arrested Development. Um, if you like Arrested Development, I love him. and He's crazy as all get out. He's from Tallahassee, Florida, and he recently won um, uh, an Emmy for his role in the HBO series Veep and, and then gave uh, props to the Young Actors Theater and Tallahassee when he was making his acceptance speech. And so this guy has, you know, has one of the Emmys. This is like the, the accomplishment of a lifetime. Well, it just so happens that his daughter is in my wife's uh, first grade class. And she has parents come in and work in the back, cutting out things and coloring things and doing things that the normal parent would do. And You may be surprised to know that this guy, this celebrity, I'm sure he's wealthy, she comes into class and sometimes he's sitting in the back with the other parents just doing his thing, doing what any dad would do, humbly serving, quietly serving. It's such a powerful testimony of what the entire purpose of exalting Christ above the angels is to show that this God has done this for us, that our king has done this for us. 
Carolyn, my wife, was serving with my sister's church in Franklin, Tennessee on a vacation once. We were visiting her, and, and it was in the summer, so they had vacation Bible school at this particular church. And so my wife is over there with her helping, and of course I'm watching ESPN because it's vacation. And frankly, you know, when a church guy's on vacation, he ain't going to go over and help with VBS. So my wife, though, is holy and loves God. And so she decided, you know, I'll be a servant and I'll go and actually help this church during their VBS. And she's sitting with this nice, kindly old lady, older lady, and visiting with her. And through the course of the conversation, Carolyn says, well, you're here helping. What do you, what do, you do for a living? And, and or the woman asked her first what she did for a living. And Carolyn said, my husband's a crazy church planter. And oh, that's great, sweetheart. And then she has this conversation. She goes, what do you, what do, you do? And she says, well, my husband's involved with NASCAR. And Carolyn, you know, says, well, really, who? And she goes, oh, his name is Daryl Waltrip. So Stevie Waltrip, the one who puts the little verses in Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s, like, race car, is working alongside my humble wife to help the little kids at her church. See, this is a woman that could have, my, of course, my wife had no idea who she was, didn't know she was really rich, and this was back when we were raising support, and I was like, you're kidding me, and you didn't mention that we were raising support to Stevie Waltrip? which is probably why Stevie liked her a lot better than me. And so, needless to say, what an amazing testimony of people who could be exalted and are exalted in culture saying, listen, I'm just a servant of the king. It points us to Jesus. The entirety of the book of Hebrews is written so that you and I would see an exalted Christ who's humbled himself for our benefit. And any time the scriptures intend to exalt Jesus, it isn't to make other people feel bad about what they believe, but instead to make them feel wonderful about what the God of all creation has done to rescue them. It's not designed, even though it may have the, the, the unfortunate reaction that some people might have to the reality of Christ's supremacy, it, it might have the unfortunate reaction of making them defensive and feel like you're insulting me, but that's not what it's intended to do. In Scripture, it's intended to say, do you realize how much your God loves you? Do you realize how deserving he is of worship and praise? How deserving he is about of how he could demand your obedience, but what does he do? He comes to serve and give his life. And that is the real reason any of us would turn and serve each other anyway. It's because Jesus has done this for us. He's given us this pattern. He has served us, and following Jesus means actually doing as he did. Being a believer in Jesus is not just assenting to all the theological doctrinal points. It's saying, I'm going to follow Christ and follow his example, be the servant of all. So let's pray to that end this morning. Father, as we come to the communion table I would pray that today we would know uh, that you've served us and we see this in the elements. We see this in the broken bread. We see this in the wine that is uh, a representation of the bitter and sweet blood that was spilled on our behalf so that we could have peace with you. You deserve our worship. You could demand our following, but you woo us with your love and we follow you because we have seen all that you have done for us. And I thank you that real followers of yours, people who are genuinely by grace trying to walk in your footsteps are doing so not because we're trying to get you to like us but because you've already demonstrated that you do 
And so we receive this gift from you and pray that it would cause us to want to love you more. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.